1: Episode fifty-five of Losing a Child. Always Andy's mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. I've actually been looking forward to this interview for quite a long time. Angie, today's guest, is a friend of Gwen's, and Gwen told me many, many months ago, shortly after starting the podcast, about her friend Angie, who had lost her son in an accident. The unique thing about Angie, though is her occupation. You see, Angie works as a funeral director, which she did for years before she ever lost her son. I was so curious to know how having that occupation may have affected her grieving process and how later her grieving process may have affected her job. I hope you all enjoy listening to Angie, Chad's mom. you so much, Angie, for agreeing to come on the show today. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk with you and get to know you a little bit, too.
1: Well, this is just so great. I have been looking forward to interviewing you for quite some time, actually, because you are a friend of Gwen's. Yes. Right. And Gwen is, uh, you know, frequently on the show, Was just on the show last week again. And she told me quite a few months ago that she thought you would be good to be on the show. So I appreciate you coming on. Yes.
2: Yeah, I can't say enough good. I can't say enough good about Gwen. But I'm not as good of a speaker as her. So hopefully this goes well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Gwen is an amazing speaker. There's there are not many people that measure up to that. So don't even worry about it a bit. Well, okay. Why don't you start out just by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. I am a mom and
2: I'm a grandmother. I am a mom to six children and I have four grandchildren now, actually Three of my children are stepchildren, but when my husband and I decided to get married, I said we're either one family or we're not a family. Mm-hmm. So I don't consider them stepchildren. I don't consider step grandchildren. We're all one big happy family. So my husband and I have been married oh six years or something like that. But when I met him, it was like we had known each other for our whole lives. So I have a really hard time putting a time frame on it because I just feel like we've always been together. So and I'm terrible when it comes to dates and things, but yes, we've been together. So we were one big happy family. When we were married and the kids came together, it was great because they all meshed with one another. There was no problems. Everybody just seemed to be one happy family like it was supposed to be that way. So I've always been very grateful for that. Um, I am a licensed funeral director. I've been a funeral director for over 20 years. Um, I've had the opportunity to work at many different funeral homes, so that's, I feel like, has given me a rounder experience in working with different people, different communities, and seeing how different people do the same job but incorporate their own ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. Over the years, I've met and helped numerous people through a very difficult time in their lives. Um, And I've always felt rewarded in that. A lot of people ask, how can you do that job? Or isn't it sad all the time? Or how can you be, aren't you afraid to be around dead people? And I find the job itself more rewarding than anything else because Before I knew what I know today, I still felt honored in being able to guide people through making some very difficult decisions that they don't want to make. Mm -hmm. And the response that I would get back from people about how I helped them to work through that time meant a whole lot to me. And so that's why I've continued to do it. Being with the person that's passed away is a, I think it's a very important part of my job but it's a small part of my job compared to the families that you have to serve and dealing with everybody deals, as you know, in grief in different ways. So being flexible or me allowing them to do the things that are important to them when it's the only time that they'll ever have to do that has always been something that's very important to me.
1: Yeah, I feel like our funeral director was really amazing and did a fantastic job and I will never forget him ever you know I mean it's the most horrible thing I've ever had to go through and he just helped with decisions that I never thought I had to make you know I so we meet with him and he says have you thought about a cemetery and of course we haven't and I name kind of one that I've driven past a few times and he said you know I th- I think maybe that wouldn't be the best one. Here's what I suggest for you. And so he suggested mm-hmm. that. he it, It's our Cascade Township Cemetery. He lined things up with the township for us to go look at a, a, a particular cemetery plot. I, we didn't have to call the township. We didn't have to do any of that. He just did everything. He just did so much. And, and, you know, he brought up the fact that I could, if I wanted to, um, have a necklace made with Andy's thumbprint on it and those type of things that I wouldn't have known. He is the one that pointed out Gwen's phone number to me and, and gave me all of these pamphlets, but, but brought that one out specifically and said, this is what I think would be good for you. I think you should call this woman. I mean, he made a really profound impact on me, given the fact that, you know, Andy died on a Wednesday. We met him on Thursday. And, you know, the funeral was on Monday. So after Monday, I didn't deal with him much more. I mean, I picked up the necklace and talked to him maybe once or twice. But really, from that Thursday to Monday, there was a lot happening. And I will never forget him. I will never forget what he was able to do for us. So, Mm
2: -hmm. Yep and I've heard that from a lot of families and so I think it's important what we do and um, I remember early in my career there was a, a mom that and I don't really remember many of the circumstances anymore but there was a mom that lost a child and the baby had never really come home from the hospital so one of the things that bothered her was that she never got to dress her daughter so we set up a time for her to come in after hours, and it was just really me and her there, and we dressed her daughter together. And I, I lived at the funeral home at the time, so I went to go and get a rocking chair from my house and brought it in, downstairs into the funeral home and left her alone just to give her that time to sit there and rock her child before we had to go through all the steps of the funeral itself. Mm-hmm. So I just think along the way, if you listen to people, there are things that may be, that don't, that might not seem so important,
1: but they really are. Well, well, it's funny too. This gets me very emotional, but um, Andy had a certain way that he wanted, he liked his hair done, you know, so I'm trying to explain how he liked his hair done and bring him, the hair gel which the hair gel all had Andy's fingerprints in it which I really didn't want those messed up because I wanted to be able to see them but you know right. he had this particular hair gel and he loved that because I would always say oh I would always love the smell and I always commented on the smell and he would he would put it in his hair and he would say smell me mom come smell me so I would smell his head and um, yeah so anyway when I'm trying to explain how he likes his hair the funeral director said to me well, do you just want to do you want to do his hair yourself? And so that's what we did before mm-hmm. the visitation. He was there and um, they brought a spray bottle to wet down his hair and then I did his hair. So Aww. it was just right. And I mean, that's not something they would have had to do. I mean, not at all. It just right. It made it so special for me, though to know that it was done how he would want it and for me to be able to do one more thing for him so
2: exactly and those are the things that you can never teach anybody in school No, you can't teach that that's just human caring for someone that you see is hurting and finding ways to help them deal with it somebody else would come into that situation and the hair wouldn't be something that was important right important to their son so it's you have to listen and you have to pick up those things so i'm glad that you had a funeral director that was like that because i've heard that there are some and i've witnessed it myself that aren't and i'm glad that you ended up finding someone that listened to you and helped you because those are the small things that are important because someone else may not have been important to them to do their son or their mom or their dad's hair or you, so you have to learn to listen to people and pick up on those little things that they can't teach you in school but it's just being personable about the whole situation and caring enough to pick up on those things and let people do what's important to them and there are people out there doing this job just like any job that are not good at that and that makes me sad.
1: Yeah, that makes me sad too. I have certainly talked to some parents that have not had as good of experience. I recently talked to somebody who just, who went to go buy a headstone for their daughter and their daughter has been gone a year, but still it was, you know, very, very emotional. And the woman that went to help him was like, well, I don't think you're ready to do this right now. And was like, really not nice at all. I mean, I don't know how you can do that job. And not be caring, but to be so cold just was crazy to me. But like you said, I I guess different people are different that way.
2: I remember thinking all along, like when I would meet with families that had lost a a child, um, thinking to myself, I don't know how they're even functioning. I, I remember thoughts going through my head, if that ever happened to me, I can't imagine making those decisions. I can't imagine being in their shoes. I can just picture myself having to be put in a wheelchair and pushed around and like drooling, and not being able to do anything. And then all of a sudden it was like, I had to
1: do that. And I don't know, it was just a whole strange experience so why don't you talk now a little bit about what happened to you personally and how that has affected you okay
2: my son chad and his last name is morris is 23 years old and all along he lit up a room i mean he was always outgoing and funny and people i know say all the time about how somebody lit up a room or they all had that same thing to characterize someone but he truly was that type and he had goals and he just I remember like he would date girls but nobody was ever good enough for him to bring home to meet his mom so he went to school then he moved out and he was on his own and he met this girl and he ended up bringing her home and they we just loved her right away her name is Alicia and So they moved in together. They had plans to get married, and they um, ended up having a baby together, Riley. She was born, and then they were going to get married shortly after that. He had bought a house. I knew that he was okay, and his whole life was moving in a positive direction, and he had plans of what he wanted to do, and he was – Alicia has – a daughter who was older and Chad kind of stepped in as her father figure and was helping her with homework and everything was going well for them mm-hmm. and then when Riley was eight months old it was um, in February and my son rode a, a motorcycle he had a Harley and that was a, a thing between him and I is like he always thought that because I had always thought that I would like to ride a motorcycle too. So he, we had talked about that I was going to get my endorsement and you know ride a motorcycle together and things. So that was always something that we talked about doing, but never really happened. So it was February of 2017. It was an unusually warm day. And mm-hmm. so he and Alicia decided to go out and they were going out with other people. And so they decided to take the motorcycle and they were out for the evening and Alicia's cousin was babysitting the two girls and Alicia's mother called me about midnight and said I can't get a hold of the kids they're not answering their phone. so you know I'm kind of thinking oh maybe they're just out and they don't want to answer mm-hmm. her calls or something so I said let me let me try so I called and it went right to voicemail so I tried calling her back and her she never answered her phone and I was home by myself with my other son because my husband and my daughter who is an adult but she's autistic they were in Uh Traverse City staying with our son and babysitting there so I was home by myself and kind of just i kept calling chad's phone he didn't answer i called alicia's phone she didn't answer it was i don't know maybe about midnight or so and then the next thing i know we had this long porch out along the side of our house and then the next thing i know i'm i'm by myself and i hear this footsteps and like a flashlight on the porch and my heart dropped and so i hear a knock on the door i went to the door it was a police officer he said oh, no. that there had been an accident and that Chad was being transported to Ann Arbor by helicopter. And he gave me the number of the police officer that was handling the situation there. So I called that police department and they said that there had been an accident and and most of it's kind of a blur. And this is like, I don't, I play this over and over in my head, but I don't put words to it. I don't talk about it anymore. So I talked to that officer and he said that Chad was being airlifted to Ann Arbor. So I called my husband. My husband's in Traverse City, which is two and a half hours away from me, where we lived in, and at the time was Ovid, but right around the Lansing area, and to have to drive to Ann Arbor.
1: Yeah, Ann Arbor is even further. Further, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And my husband was like, you can't drive there by yourself. So he is a deputy with the Eaton County Sheriff's Department. So he called the Sheriff's Department, and they sent a squad card to our house and picked up my son and I and drove us to Ann Arbor. Well, the whole time we're standing outside waiting for them to come. I'm calling my mom, my sister, my dad. And when I got to Ann Arbor, the deputy drove us right up to the door, walked us in, got us to where we needed to be. And my mom was there, my sister was there, my nephews were there all waiting. I don't remember most of it because it's such a, a whirlwind, but I, they mm-hmm. walked in and they said that they had done testing and that there was nothing that they could, they could do for him because if they did surgery because of his, his head injury, that he would only be able to function as a, a young adult. And I, I, I knew that because of the type of person he was, that that wasn't something that he would want. But I got to backtrack. He would function as a young child, you mean? Yes. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And I knew that would be something that he would not want. So I have to backtrack. On the way to the hospital, I called Alicia's father to see how she was, because I'm thinking, okay, I haven't heard that they're airlifting her anywhere. So she has to be hurt, but fine. And not as bad as Chad, because they were taking him to U of M. Mm-hmm. And so when I called her dad, he answered the phone and he said that she didn't make it. She, She was gone at the scene. And then they had taken Chad and airlifted him to U of M. So that my whole world was like, tumbling out of control, driving down the road in this police car to a hospital, not knowing what was happening to my son and like the love of his life is gone. And so all these things are going through my mind and I get there and they tell me that there's nothing that they can do for him. And I don't know how, and I did this, but I'm standing there and believe me, I'm terrible at making decisions. I can't even decide off a menu what I want to eat. And right in that moment, I knew it was not the right thing to do, so I said no to any surgery. We were just going to do what we had to do to let him go peacefully. So they took us into the room and I tell you, I walked in there and he did not have one scratch on him. He didn't have anything that made him look like he was gone, but he was laying there still alive because his brainstem was still functioning because he was so strong, he worked out. and. He Mm -hmm. was a very strong person. So we had to talk to the doctors and go through everything before they, I I don't even remember some of the stuff, but they just kept coming in and I kept saying, how long are you going? How many times do I got to tell you I'm not doing this? I'm not saying it anymore. So then they took us into a different room with him like the next, so it was like the next day, later on in the day, we stayed all day with him. And then they took us into another room. And I tell you, I don't—I know every situation is hard that everybody goes through, but we had to wait for him to stop breathing before they could take him away to do the organ donation. And the mm-hmm. hardest thing that I ever had to do in my life was stand there and hold his hand and pat his head and tell him how much I loved him and how much it was okay for him to leave when I didn't want him to go. Yeah. And then every time we thought he was going to be gone, he would take a breath. And I finally said to the nurse, am I doing the right thing? And she said, you are most definitely doing the right thing. He's just very strong. So I don't even know how long it felt like it felt like an eternity. But just me telling him and walking and speaking to him and telling him stories and telling him who was waiting for him and that we would take care of Riley and Alyssa is the daughter's name, and that it was okay to go, and then I would miss him, but I would see him again someday. They finally got to yeah. a point where they could take him away to do the organ donation, and it was just like all of a sudden you had to walk away and it was it was over.
1: Yeah. It just seems so unreal.
2: It does. It's like your whole world comes crashing down and you think that the world should stop for just a minute. Right. And it right. doesn't. You definitely do,
1: and it doesn't. And so then you had to then be, live, really what you had known would be your worst nightmare, right? Seeing the other side of it, and then now you're on that side.
2: Yes. And then I don't even know how this even happened, but I I believe in divine, divine intervention Mm -hmm. that God for the longest time even afterwards, and then I'll come back to this, I I almost felt like I was forsaken by God. Like, how could he let this happen to me? I felt like I was a good person and I felt like I was helping people and doing the right things, but how could he take away something that was so important to me? But then I look back and I think it wasn't that I was forsaken. It was when Jesus was the closest to me to guide me through this time. He wasn't further away. He was closer than ever. So I believe this is how this part of it happened. I, Because I don't know how we got here, but I ended up talking to Alicia's parents. And they were at a friend's house because Alicia's mom didn't want to be at her house. So they went to a friend's house and they were staying there. So we ended up going there. I didn't even know who the friend was. I I never met him before. I did meet him once before, but I didn't really even know who they were, but we went there. Alicia's parents were there. And then it was like everybody started congregating at this one home and everybody was there. My family came, their family was all there and we just spent that whole day together. But I remember walking in there and Sherry is Alicia's mom and like, I have never hugged anyone in my whole life because it was right there at that moment. We both cried and hugged because no one else in that whole house knew what it felt like to be a mom and have your heart ripped out, except the two of us. Mm -hmm. And it was so helpful to have in that time someone who understood that, I guess. Um, So we did that and then... There was a, a few days that went by, and thank goodness for my stepmom, because she was the one that kind of kept everything going. She made the appointment at the funeral home, which the funeral director was um in the hometown where I grew up was a, a family friend. So she made arrangements with him, and then we all went there together, Alicia's parents and us, and then my family and some of their family was there, and we all made funeral arrangements together. but me being a funeral director, everyone looked to me for guidance in some of the decisions they had to make. And the whole time I'm thinking about like the old me thinking I'd have to be in a wheelchair and, no, and not be able to make any decisions because somebody would have to push me yeah. to wherever I needed to be was the one telling them what casket I wanted for both of them, what vault I wanted for both of them, where they were going to be buried because they were going to be buried in our family plot. and all the steps that I knew that I had to be making because of what the job I do, I don't know if it I, I had to have made it easier because I just kind of rolled with the punches for lack of a better term to um make those decisions. And then when we left after arrangements, um we ended up having a a double visitation, so Chad and Alicia were both together for the visitation, and then the funeral was the following day. The funeral ended up being on my 50th birthday, which wasn't so, it wasn't going to be great no matter what, but now, like, my birthday is part of that, but I was fortunate enough also to be in this business that I know many ministers and chaplains, so I had a chaplain from where I worked this area, she came there, which is a couple hours away to do the funeral, which was nice because it was someone that I had a relationship with. And Mm -hmm. I had asked her as part of the funeral because Chad and Alicia never got a chance to get married Mm -hmm. if she would marry them. And she did. She had everybody that was there say the vows back in their place. In my heart, I feel like that Alicia is my daughter-in-law I knew that she was the daughter of my heart from the first time I met her so they're together and I just I don't know
1: yeah it's funny what you can do when you don't think you can right you said oh I would I'm sure I would be a heap I I've thought that many many times like oh I could never do that and then you do because you're just forced to. There's there's no other choice. So I know I've had people say, oh, you're so strong. You're so strong. You did such an amazing job. Like, no, I didn't. I didn't have a choice. I didn't feel exactly. strong at all. I didn't feel like I was doing anything very extraordinary at all. There is no choice. So you just have to do it. You do. And
2: a part of that no choice is when you love someone so much you do those things even as a mom there are many times that you do things for your child that you don't want to do because you know what's best for your child i mean like making them go to sleep at night when they're crying and you're outside the hall in the hall with the door closed crying yourself because you know you can't go in there right right so it's just in that time, it was decisions that I didn't want to make. I didn't want to be in that spot. I didn't want any of it to be happening, but I owed it to my child to be the best that I could be for him. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So how has this experience changed you as a funeral director? I almost feel bad like saying it, (laughs) but it was like even... It's better now, but for a a little while,
2: probably part of me was just like angry of everything that I had to be through. But I almost felt like, and I really thought about even not doing this job anymore, Mm -hmm. because I almost felt like when people would come in and their grandmother was like 90 years old and had been in a nursing home for years, and they're so distraught because they didn't know like she was going to die.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm sitting at the end of the table looking at them thinking, you have no idea, none. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, that's not right of me to judge someone else's pain because I haven't walked their shoes, but I I was really feeling that I was losing my empathy for people. Mm -hmm. And so I thought maybe this is not the right thing for me to do. And then there was a mom that had lost her son and There was a lady that knew both of us so she had said to that mom told her my story so when she came in she knew that i had lost my son too and it just brought her comfort knowing i knew how she felt Mm -hmm. so that was helpful for me to take a step back and realize that i do have something still to offer people and i do have empathy and i do care and now that a little bit more time has gone by i I still have that thought in the back of my mind, but it's not as strong as it
1: was. Well, I can see in her shoes, just very similar to how you and Alicia's mom just hugged and hung on to each other because you could understand each other. That's how that mom must have felt, right? She was feeling alone. She's lost her child. No one is really understanding me, but yet she could look across the table at you and say, but you do. You do understand me, and you have lived through this. And so that would give some comfort. I have to say I also really understand what you went through in those early days, too, because I felt that same way doing general pediatrics. And going back to my practice right away, it was extremely difficult. Um, It was really hard to see kids who had had you know, a cough for two hours or a fever for like 15 minutes or something that I felt like, why are you here? This is not a big deal. And, um, or people coming in with just little parenting concerns about not going to bed or something like that, right? And then I would think how much I would give to be woken up in the middle of the night by my son who didn't want to go to bed and how that would never happen to me again. And so it takes some time right away, I think to get past some of that. So for me, I took a kind of a leave of absence and really after time has gone by, I felt actually that my compassion has gone up because now I look at the same parents who may have the same concerns that are really quite trivial, But I think about how worried they are and how you know, wow, if your child's only had a cough for a few hours, and you're that worried, what can I do to take some of that worry away, to take some of that anxiety away and make you feel better? So it changed considerably over time. So it sounds like that has happened to you in a similar way, that it just took some time to adjust. But now the compassion is kind of back and maybe different even than it was.
2: Right. I'm finding that, that light again. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And that you can just look at grieving people as grieving people and not necessarily uh, yes. feel like you need to compare your grief. Right. 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 Yeah. That's a good way to put it. So you found definitely in that one instance of that first mom that you felt uh, like that you had that calling again. How have things been since that? Do you feel kind of do you have kind of similar experiences like that? Certain cases that jump out at you a little bit more?
2: I guess I've heard it all along cuz you're writing helping people write their obituaries and stuff, but I seem to notice more now and it, it's there are a lot of people that when you write their obituaries that they have lost children. Mhm. And it doesn't matter if your child is a year old, 23 years old or 40 years old. It's still that person is still your child. And I remember there was an older lady and her son had died. And so, uh, you know, toward I when I meet with a family, I try not, I am empathetic and listen and talk, but it's not about me. So during right. the whole time, I don't really express my own story too much. Sure. Sure, Um, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you pick up on people that it would be helpful to talk a little bit more so
1: that's exactly right towards
2: the end of the arrangement is when i'll maybe (laughs) i'll um maybe talk a little bit more about myself to so they understand and this i was telling the lady about my story and she said then you understand and this was like her son had been dead for over 20 years or something And she said, you understand what it feels like to have that hole in your heart. And she said, and honey, it's never going to go away.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. And that's, that's stuck with me. And she got up and she hugged me right then and there, like, Mm -hmm. because it was important for her to do that. But she knew what my heart felt like. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's ways... I mean, if I could certainly pick a different way to connect with people, I would do that in a heartbeat, but it is a way to connect. And once again, not knowing that, but bringing more of a personal side to a devastating
1: side for somebody because you know what they're walking through. Especially in those early times when you think I'm never going to be able to get past this. Like, how am I going to make it through the next two hours, right? You're not even thinking, I mean, if you think, how am I going to get through the next 10 years right away? You just can't, you can't, it's way too much. You are really thinking minutes, hours, you know, how am I going to get through tomorrow? So to see someone that is doing it, that is living it every day and understands that can be very, very comforting just to be able to see that. So I think that's perfect that if you can feel that in certain instances, it may be helpful for someone to see a little bit of light, then it's it's perfect to share it. I really think that is that is the case. You know, I think some of my families, of course, know my story and and others do not, especially newer families have no idea what I've gone through. And for the most part, they don't, I don't even want them to know because I don't want them to go there and to think about losing their own child. But I do think in, there will be a time that it will be helpful right down the road. It's maybe not yet, but at some point in time, it will be helpful. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I
2: want it to be helpful when I do talk to someone or share what's happened to me, but I, I don't, I never want anyone to feel sorry for me. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I don't ever tell anybody what's happened because I'm looking for someone to feel bad or to think like, Oh, that's a terrible thing because it is, but I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. It, it is what it is. And I miss my son because I love him so much and
1: Mm -hmm. You want to share you share only to give them some uh, a bit of hope, right? You share to give hope, you don't share to get pity, right? There's no question about it. All this podcast is not being done to give people pity. It is really being done to show people hope to show people that there is a future that their child's life has made a difference and that their lives as grieving parents still do matter and will continue to matter in the future. Because for a while, I know it just feels like nothing matters and your life doesn't matter and everything will be forgotten and it's really easy to get down. So the point of this is to show hope, to show hope for the future.
2: Yes, because one of my biggest fears has always been, and I know it won't happen, but it's always in the back of my mind is, I don't want time to go away and uh, Chad, to and alicia to fade away Mm -hmm. so we always work very uh, i do and my whole family does thankfully but work very hard at keeping them part of our family their daughter was eight months old when the accident happened so she has no yeah no memory memory of them Mm -hmm. other than she has pictures and us telling stories so her parents are going to live on for her because of us yes So when we have family gatherings, they're always a part of it somehow. Their stories are always brought up. I have a nephew that is the same age as Riley. He was born just a little, I'm not a nephew, I'm sorry, a grandson, Mm -hmm. it would have been Chad's nephew that was born just a little bit before Riley was. So he doesn't know them either, but he'll say things like one time for Christmas when he was coming over here, he said to his dad, well, Uncle Chad and Aunt Alicia be there. Because he knows that they exist but -hmm. he doesn't know what it means to be gone. So we worked very hard at, I have pictures and things around the house and Riley will look at them and say that's my mama, that's my daddy and so I just, we worked very hard at not, she deserves that she needs, she needs to know who her parents are. And that's a a very difficult thing because, I mean, I look at Riley and for her not to have any, Chad wasn't around during more, I mean, she's only four, but um, her early formative years, Mm -hmm. she acts just like him. (laughs) She looks just like him. And so many times it's like, it's bittersweet because I'll look at her and think how great it is that. I see her dad, but then in a way it breaks my heart because I see her dad. Yes.
1: yes. And you miss him. So,
2: mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Where does she live? She actually lives with Alicia's parents. Um, that was a whole thing too, because I certainly would have taken her and I would have taken Alyssa in a heartbeat, but I had no blood relationship to Alyssa. So that would have been very difficult. Yes. And Sherry and Steve, the parent, the um, Alicia's parents were going to take Alyssa because she sees her dad but he was not in the position to raise her by himself mm-hmm. so
1: and they probably wanted the girls
2: to be together Yep, yeah, and with, we talked about it and if, as much as I wanted Riley to be with me I knew it was best that she was with her sister mm-hmm. they needed one another so they have both of the girls and then whenever I have days off of work I go and pick up Riley, and she comes here. Alyssa doesn't come as much because she's older, and now she's got friends, and she's got things. She's busy all the time, so she doesn't come and stay with us as much, but I get Riley very often. I am so very blessed that Sherry and I think a lot of like, we get along well, our families get along well. Um, Chad told me a long time ago, mom, I'm marrying into a great family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm grateful for that because it's made this whole terrible situation at least easier to manage Mm -hmm. because we all get along so well and it's better for the girls.
1: Well, and again, going back to the fact that You two have lived this together, have lost your children together, and it really forms a bond. I think back to the first support group that I went to, and I feel such a strong bond with those women just because they were the first women that I really talked to and reached out to that knew exactly how I was feeling. I mean, all of our children died at different ages of different things and the circumstances were far different, but we all knew that same pain of losing a child and it's just can really bring you together in a way that you couldn't even imagine from the outside. No, you
2: can't. And that's what Sherry and I have talked about quite a bit because she'll be having a bad day or I'll be having a bad day and we call one another and the other one knows exactly what we mean without having to explain ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, in your case, it's and even more really so because it was have. the same accident and the same exact experience. So that's even more so. Well, I just want to thank you so much for uh, sharing with us today. Is there anything else you feel like you really wanted to share with the listeners before we wrap up?
2: I, this was one of the things when I talked to Gwen. I, I was fortunate enough to be friends with Gwen. Mm-hmm. So I knew her prior to this whole situation and so it was a little bit after the funeral she contacted me and she said you know I'm here for you I just didn't want to say anything before but when you need me or if you need me I'm here so we started talking more on a, a regular basis about this and so I guess well I've taken a lot of what she has shared but one of the things that I think has been so very important is to recognize special days and finding different ways to do that. Mm-hmm. So on Chad's birthday, I put a dollar for every year that he was born in a card and put a little note in there that my, this was my son's birthday. And so like when he turns 24, I put $24 in it. And I said, this is a dollar for every year that he's brought me joy to my life. And I find some stranger mm-hmm. and to give the card to. And it's just a way of expressing that it's a special day and remembrance of him, not letting those days go by the wayside because they're hard. I mean, there are days like that, that, I mean, his birthday or Alicia's birthday or days that they were supposed to get married. I mean, I would rather just stay in bed and pull the covers over my head and, and stay away from the world, but that's not what it's about. It's finding different ways for the child that we lost to still touch our lives and other people's lives and Uh so i guess i just wanted to share that it's important to find different ways to still express important times in lives and our lives and what we're missing i mean i would give anything to be able to call him on his birthday and say happy birthday but if i can make some stranger happy on his birthday, then that's a different way of still saying happy birthday.
1: It is really nice to be able to do something special. I know for Andy's birthday, his last birthday, he would have turned 16. And I went on Facebook and I just asked if people wanted to donate $16 to the Grand Rapids Choir Men and Boys for Andy's 16th birthday. And they ended up getting several thousand dollars of, of for donations and just little $16 donations by... Some people who didn't even know Andy at all, but they were happy to give $16 to the choir that he loved. So I, I agree with you. Those little kinds of things to help just remember are just so, so valuable.
2: They are. And once, again, that'll be a way that the, Chad will never slip away. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yep. As long as you keep doing the little card, there's a little bit going on and it's spreading a little bit of happiness. That's right. Mm -hmm. And the older he gets, the happier you're going to make other people, huh? (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) I don't know. I might have to change it to 50 cents. You might have to at some point in time. Somebody's getting 40, 50 bucks. They can go out to dinner, huh? That's
2: right. (laughs)
1: All right. Well, Angie, thank you again so much for being on. I really appreciate being able to talk to you.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate the time and thank you for letting me share my story.
1: Yes, absolutely. And thank you for all that you do for other families that are going through these really horrific times. It is just so valuable and amazing. And I hope I have been able to adequately share with you how important it is and how much it matters to us as grieving families. Oh, well, thank
2: you. Yes, yes you're, you're welcome. welcome. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to Losing a Child. Always Andy's mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at Be sure to visit the webpage andysmom.com for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.